on the Figures of Speech podcast, hosts Tammy Palazzo and Tim Wickstrom talk to a wide range of amazingly successful executives, business owners, and leaders about how learning to communicate changed their lives and their fortunes. Every episode gives us stories we can emulate and lessons we can follow. Welcome to Figures of Speech. We are your hosts, Tammy Palazzo and Tim Wickstrom. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Shola Kay, who is a personal impact coach, a keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Speak Upon the Spot and How to Be a Diva at Public Speaking. What's fascinating about Shola is that she started her career, well, first she started her career in the corporate world, but quickly turned into a singer, a stand-up comic, and a TV host, and she was able to parlay that into becoming a public speaking coach and helping people conquer their fears of public speaking, and you should absolutely watch her TED Talk on workplace empathy. Shola, thank you so much for joining us today. We're incredibly excited to have the opportunity to talk to you and learn more about your background. You have such an interesting blend of music, singing, and public speaking, as well as your book, which we will dive more into. I, of course, love the whole diva title. Not going to lie about that. Before we jump into it, though, I just want to take the opportunity to allow you to introduce yourself, tell our listeners where you're from, give us some of your background. Thank you, Tim. It's great to be here. And um, for the very many out there who won't know me, (laughs) my name is Shola Kay, and uh, I live in the UK. I live in London. I did spend seven years living in the States a while back, and uh, I work as a public speaking coach and also a professional singer. And I try and blend the two um, when I'm working with clients so that they can really see themselves as artists rather than trying to be perfect speakers. So that's a little bit of background. Well, that's fascinating. And I've got to admit here, you you have a bit of background in cabaret, stand-up comedy, uh, TV. How did you get to this place with all of that background and find a pathway to helping people feel more confident presenting and and knowing that it's okay? Mm. Yeah, it's a, a good question. I mean, it, I think a lot of people will, uh, you know, we do all sorts of different things in our lives, don't we? We go in one direction, then another. And then at some point, everything seems to kind of link up and it's like, ah, now I understand. <laughs> and I've had one of those lives, most definitely. Uh, so how I came to be a public speaking coach, uh, originally I studied the sciences and I started out as a teacher and uh, was living in the UK here in London. And then I decided that I wanted to um, spend some time in the USA. So I went over there and did a master's uh, in the sciences. And then after that, I got a corporate, uh, corporate job as m- many people do. And um, that's when I discovered that I had this real, I wouldn't even call it a fear of speaking, but just didn't want to speak up. And um, I was in a job as a consultant. So of course, as a consultant, the consultant that never speaks, you're in trouble. <laughs> so, so um, I, you know, I was this little quiet thing working in this uh, company in New Jersey and everyone was very confident and I was just, you didn't have much to say. And um, so in this job, I think after about a year or something in the job, um, they called me in and said, look, you know, uh, we need to, we need to see more from you. And um 
fortunately for me, I had a very sympathetic colleague who, you know, we'd get together and she'd give me a bit of coaching and, and, you know, I was in that job for gosh, four or five years ultimately. And then when I came back to the UK, I got a, a job as an account director and again, very client facing this time I was dealing with lots of very senior executives and, uh, you know, get a sort of lost my voice again and just found myself in these meetings just thinking the whole time, what am I going to say? When should I say my, make my comment? When? Um, and there was this internal dialogue going on and I just wasn't able to really pull my weight in the job. And this is right around the time of uh, the Twin Towers coming down. One of our big clients was um, an aviation company. And um, yeah, as it coincided with my six month probation period <laughs> in this job, everything kind of conspired against me. And um, so I remember being called into my boss's office and, and basically told, look, your clients don't feel that you're adding enough value in these meetings. You're not saying anything. And, uh, you know, sadly, we're going to have to let you go. And that was a, a, I'd never really questioned my career at that point. I was just on that, you know, the conveyor belt, you get your degree, you do the next thing, you get a corporate job. Nothing, I wasn't really thinking about anything. And um, it really forced me to, to take a step back and, and assess my career and think about what I wanted to do. And um, as a kid, I'd always wanted to be a singer. So I'd always watched, um, do you know Shirley Bassey? Is she famous? Yes, she famous? Shirley Bassey. Most so, of our listeners will have no idea who she is. But... <laughs> okay, okay. Look up Shirley Bassey. <laughs> <laughs> She's a very glamorous singer from Wales. Very, very glamorous. <laughs> Beautiful voice. Yeah. And so when I was a kid, I used to watch singers like that and think, wow, I could never be a singer. And I think this this period of of just being kind of shaken out of my, uh, you know, this sort of sleepwalking in my career just made me think, well, let's try something different. And uh, so I trained to be a life coach and then I started taking singing lessons and um, really enjoyed it. Got into a band, etc. And uh, so when I gained that confidence from people looking at me on stage, because I then became a professional singer, uh, I, I thought, wow, maybe it's time to revisit public speaking. And um, I was reading a book by, um, do you know Brendan Bouchard? He's pretty famous in the States, right? He's a, he's a, a sort of high performance life coach. Okay. And business coach. Not familiar, but we'll have to check into him. Yeah. 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 He's, 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 um, he's written a few books and um, I was reading a book by him and there was a chapter on public speaking and literally I just started crying. And it wasn't because I was thinking, oh, you're so crap, Shola. It was more, well, there's potential here. And um, so I ended up doing some public speaking training, joined Toastmasters, as many people do, mm -hmm. and then took it further, you know, got some coaching and had coaches in different places in Canada and the States and wherever. And um, yeah, just really found, found my feet as a speaker. And um, I think what I got from being both a singer and then going into speaking is, as I mentioned earlier to Tim, this idea that you don't have to do it one way. I mean, we don't look at, you know, Beyonce, I don't know, uh, Adele and think, right, these guys all have to do it the same way. Why? I mean, we want the difference. So um, I think it's, for me, when I work with clients, it's really about them figuring out what's the, what's the best part of themselves and then trying to emphasize that and kind of treating their speaking as if they're an artiste rather than a, 
somebody that just has to get it right and tick all the boxes. If I had a, the ability to highlight with a highlighter pen something, that is, that is it. Because I think that's the most important thing for people to understand. It's such a great, great point, which is that there isn't one way to be a good speaker. There's obviously elements that you need to be aware of, but your point is such an important one that we look at people and we think we want to emulate them and we don't realize that we just want to be ourselves, but the best the best self that we can be when we're speaking. So I love that you said that because that's a question that we get quite frequently, which is, are you turning me into a robot? You want me to stand a certain way. Right. You want me to look a certain way and you want me to use my voice a certain way. And we always encourage people to think about it differently, that we're giving you lots of tools for your toolkit and you need to be able to pull them out. I have a question for you though, because I'm always fascinated by people who had journeys like yours. I had a journey like yours where it was just the idea of having to speak in front of other people. And those who have listened to our previous podcasts know my stories in depth because we've talked about it a lot, but it it was always a, a big challenge for me and something that was beyond dread. It was just, you know, I would get sick to my stomach at the thought of it. But what do you think the root of that was? You know, what, what do you think, why do you think you were so uncomfortable in those situations? Mm, good question. I mean, I, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes things happen and you kind of reverse engineer the reason because right. you're not quite right. sure exactly course, why. Yeah. But, right. you know, it can be quite helpful when you're telling an entertaining story and you pick out little bits that sure but um but yeah I mean it's I've always been a bit of an introvert and I think uh, introverts often need a bit more time before they have to speak up and answer a question so I think that was part of it um and then also sort of going back into my childhood so when I was um from sort of three months till about 11 years old I was actually fostered and um my foster parents were great I always wanted to stay with them and I knew that when I reached 11, I'd have to go back and live with my folks. So I think when you're a young kid and you're, you, you understand that certain desires that you have will not be recognized and not be, you know, um, fulfilled, I think that can make you, it can turn you in a variety of ways. But for me, I think it took away my voice to some extent because mm. I just felt quite powerless. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. And, um, I think that that kind of made me feel well you know what what is what is my right to speak up um people don't listen okay so I'll just go into myself rather than express my desires and needs out there oh that's a really interesting connection you know I I love that you shared that because I think that will resonate with a lot of our listeners but also us as individuals you know thinking through what some of those triggers were and it's interesting how it sets us on a pathway to behaving and showing up very differently than what we would have imagined or what we would have believed as possible. I, I'm curious to go a little further when you, when you realized, you know, you got the feedback, right, about the client and, and all of that element and you stepped away from that role and then you start talking about music and how playing an instrument, being a part of a band, what I'm fascinated to know a little more about, and I think for our listeners too, is that we all have that sort of reasoning we put into place. What's my reason for doing this? Why do I think that's going to be helpful? What was the reason for you that you felt music uh, just 
music and singing would be a the right step for you before you decided to go back and revisit the public speaking side, which is where it all really started. What was the reasoning for you that that was the best step for you? Um, it was, I think it was to some extent, I felt I'd blown my career. I thought, this is it now. Um, you know, all my oh. friends were kind of making partner or pulling their kids through private school and all this. And, you know, there I was out of a job. I was living in a shared house with a bunch of girls. And I just thought, well, you know, if this is where I am, I may just as well take it to the extreme and do all those childhood things that I'd always felt I'd been denied, which is where singing lessons came into it. I think that's so fascinating because when when we talk to a lot of people, this is this is just so interesting because uh, some folks choose a measured step, right? They're not always willing to you know, look at the very far end of the spectrum and say, well, gosh, what's going to throw me into the deepest <laughs> end of the water? Because I am myself incredibly intimidated by music. You will never hear me sing. I love presenting. I love speaking. All of those other sides of it that we talk about and that, you know, that I get to do. The idea of singing in any way, shape, or form outside of the shower is terrifying to me. So I, I appreciate that you shared that because I think it's really important for people to just be able to understand we all have our pathway. And sometimes where I'm going with this is the idea of fear. Uh, when we're fearful of something and it pushes us to make a decision, I'm always fascinated by the decisions people make. And yours is a very brave one, in my opinion, to go the opposite end and not be measured and take, you know, stick your toe into the shallow end of the pool. You just jumped right in and no one pushed you. So I think that's, I think that's pretty fascinating. You're, you also evolved your business into helping individuals, coaching them individually, also working with major uh, major blue chip companies around the world you've been doing this. Tell us a little bit about how empathy and your focus on empathy in the workplace really plays a role in, the, in this because I think it's such a vital piece to how people show up to work, absolutely, but it also plays a role into how comfortable they are communicating with others. How did that come to be for you? Mm, very true. Well, I was um, invited to do a TEDx talk and I was thinking about what I wanted to speak on and looking at my own history and looking at my experiences in the workplace, I felt that um, not, not from a, a perspective of sort of being a bit grumpy and upset that there was a lack of empathy in my situation, but I was, I was thinking, well, if there had been more empathy there or if there is more empathy in the workplace in general, what, what would that mean for so many people? And, um, you know, just, just the, the act of somebody listening to you and trying to understand rather than shutting you down um, in, in conversation or because they're a bit uncomfortable of what, about where it's going to go. Um, I, I just thought, well, there's so many people who aren't really fulfilling their potential in the workplace. What, what is, what's the effect of that on companies, on individuals? that they, they are being shut down and there isn't that empathy. And so I sort of did some exploration around that and um, put this talk together. And now it's something that I offer, <clears throat> excuse me, to corporates. And um, in fact, I mean, I was invited to go and speak at, uh, in India, which will be next month on that topic, just from someone seeing the TEDx talk. 
Fantastic. Um, but yeah, which is is really cool. But it, it what what was the most interesting was the fact that people are really picking up on this idea of expressing empathy a lot more as a way to get more from people uh, in the workplace. And actually, if you go to LinkedIn and look at Gary Vaynerchuk's feed, it's just completely full of him with videos saying, right, we need to be more empathetic. Yeah. Um, I'll always fire the, the, the person that's kind of brushing everyone up the wrong way and reward those that are getting on. And, and, and you know, when you see someone like him talking about it, it's like, Oh yeah, this this is okay. <laughs> I'm on the right track. Total validation, right? And yeah, exactly. I'm good now. I can talk about it. <laughs> I, this is this is really fascinating, and and there's uh, Tim and I are very intrigued by patterns and how the universe sort of brings things to you when at at, at very interesting points in time and. I feel that since we've started this podcast, we somehow or another have attracted a very specific, uh, uh, I would say, roster of guests mm. because the themes are very similar. And I don't know if it's because we're talking about communication, which is an incredibly important and also puts people in a very vulnerable state, uh, if it's just you know, who's gravitating towards us, but this very common theme of empathy and vulnerability and compassion has been coming up quite a bit. And, you know, we often talk about it in relationship to the different generations at work and millennials definitely are demanding a different type of work environment than perhaps what I lived through in my corporate career or Tim or even you for your the brief period of time that you were working corporate, it seems like there is a true paradigm shift happening right before us right now. And I, I don't even think we need to debate it because I, there's enough evidence to prove it out. But I'm curious to know for you, when you're coaching people and you're working with organizations, What's changing in the conversation around communication? Because obviously that's something that we pay very, very close attention to and try to see if there's an evolution happening in terms of people's comfort level with it, how they're communicating, what they're communicating. Are you hearing different things from people? Are you getting, are you finding that you have to shift what you're coaching on or what you're teaching on based on how the workplace is evolving? Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think there's a lot more, as you say, a lot more empathy, a lot more scope for people to actually bring their own personal stories to bear at work, rather than that being something that you discuss at six o'clock, you know, when you get home type of thing. So I do feel that there, there's much more openness and more appreciation of different opinions, diversity, um, and, and just wanting to hear from different voices and understanding that those enrich the pot rather than you know detract from it and 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 make it harder to move forward so um definitely i think it, it, as you say it's just a much more open and, and interested environment now in the workplace it's a great time to be working in this space i think because there's such a spotlight on you know people everybody wants to do a ted talk and everybody wants to share their stories and we we pay very close attention to this idea that the world is changing in such a way that being able to share your ideas is the only way you're going to be successful in life. 
Yeah. You can't share your ideas, you know, or we think about innovation, how much innovation doesn't happen. You know, I love that you have a little bit of a, of a focus on women or maybe a major focus on women. Tell us about, I love this being a diva at public speaking. Tell us where that came from. Cause I'm like crazy about it. I want to be a diva too. I want to be a diva. <laughs> you can be, you can be, tell everyone can be. Tell me, give us the secrets to how to be a diva. Yeah. Well, it, it came about because um, quite often I'd be out, you know, speaking or, or in a business setting. And then when people heard that I was also a singer, they'd say, oh, wow, you're a singer. This is so great. But there's so many similarities between singing and speaking. And I wanted to bring those to the fore so that people could realize that, OK, maybe they're not going to wear a sequin dress for work. And sing, right? We should. We could. No work would get done. Platform shoes, sequins, the whole thing. But um, but yeah, although they may not be a professional singer, there's a lot of aspects that they could derive from public speaking, which would be similar to if they were on the stage singing. And um, I really wanted to bring that home to people, so they recognise what an opportunity it is to be to to have a chance to speak rather than it being something to shrink away from. And so that's where this whole idea of being a diva came about. And um, I kind of almost reverse engineered in, in, in terms of what I thought an all-rounder at speaker should, should at speaking should, should have in terms of skills. I kind of then reverse engineered that to fit with diva because it kind of fit with the brand and the women and all yeah. the rest of it. Yeah. So, um, so D is about really being dynamic. Um, as a speaker and again it's doing it in your own way so some people will use particularly um, some great language that's really brings brings things to life other people will be high energy running up and down the stage like a Tony Robbins other people will maybe do lots of interaction when they're speaking but there are a variety of ways that you can be a dynamic speaker but just find your way um, and then the same with being inspiring it's about storytelling um, being valuable is about your structure, your content. And then A is about being authentic, which is, again, I think people hear that word authentic and they think they've got to be locked into a certain way of being all the time. But authenticity, as you doubtless know, is really about who you are in that moment and who you are with different people. And um, people say, well, I'm a quiet person. I can't be like this. And then I say, well, how are you with your kids? Or how are you when you, you're out Supporting right. your favorite team. What do you do right? when you get mad at them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've got it all in you. Let's just right. find your way to express it. Um, so, so, and then it ties back in with this idea of being an artist again and just playing with the nuances so that you can be as you want to be. Um, so that's kind of how the diva thing came about. So I, 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 I love that. I love that too. And I have to say, there's a, there's a bit of a key takeaway in there for me when you talk about authenticity, because I feel like it is becoming that terminology that is batted around so often, and it's become cliche to a degree. There's a great deal of value in it, but I feel like it it's losing some of its potential and sting. And the key takeaway for me is just a very minor difference in what you said, which is your authenticity is how you are in the moment, what you're doing right then and there. I can absolutely relate to all the wallflowers out there in their social life that likes to sit back in the corner at a cocktail party with a glass of wine and watch everybody versus interact with everyone. 
And that's authentically me in that moment. And to your point, and I really think this is important, when you are in a moment that you are, you know, leading a team meeting or presenting to a board or coaching others, whatever the case may be, that authenticity changes in the moment, the essence of you is still there. But the idea that authenticity is the way you do one thing is the way you do everything everywhere. It's, I like that little variation on it. It's, it's a good way to define it and, and to change the conversation. So that point though, I have, you, I have a question for you because this has always fascinated me. I love watching award shows. I think they're fun. They're interesting to watch these actors and actresses get up on the stage, receive their award, the comedy shows and all of that. What's interesting to me is the parallel you draw from being a singer, a performer, if you will, and how that helps you with your presentation skills. Yet more times than not, when I see them get up on the stage, they flub it entirely. It's like they've lost their way. And I can't help but wonder why is it that actors or actresses, what's your opinion on why they struggle so much when all they do is perform? Like that's their job to put on a show and they're umming their way through it, fidgeting and losing their mind. And I get, I'm ne I've never won an Oscar. I'm most likely not going to win an Oscar. <laughs> However, <laughs> what do you think happens to Don't that? Don't underestimate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm setting a low bar here. If I should win one, I will flub it up as well, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about this only today because there are so many actors out there who are public speaking trainers and yet I've spoken to people who have an acting background and they say, oh, I could never do public speaking. I need to have my lines. I need to know I'm in this character. I'm saying these words and I don't want to be me. I just want to be this character. So I should imagine that what happens when these people jump up on stage, they're like, uh, who, do, who am I? What, what do I do now? <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to be myself. I'm not in character. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And that's why, I mean, not that any, any one system is better than any other, but the idea of being an artiste is more freeing, I think, because you're being this best version of you. Um, so you can be, you know, you, we want your character to kind of ooze out of every pore because that's the thing that's attractive. So if you can kind of keep that in your mind, like how can I just be more me, then you wouldn't be worried about that because it's like, yeah, this is time to be even more me. I'm getting my award, right? Um, as opposed to, oh, now who am I? So um, just slight, slight tweak in the way of thinking, isn't it really? But it's- Yeah. And I would think that as a singer, it's a little bit different because even though you're singing someone's lyrics and maybe you have a band behind you, that is a very, very vulnerable place to be when you're singing. There's so many opportunities, I think even more so than if you were doing a dramatic play on Broadway. Uh, the, the things that could happen to your voice while you're singing and the connection that you make you know, when it's just you and you think about, you think about the true divas, right? You think about a Whitney Houston getting up on a stage and belting out a song. And I always think about this when I watch, you know, American Idol and all those shows and I'm in awe of them because I think that's the most vulnerable place to be because you're putting, you have to dump every ounce of emotion or you're not going to be effective. And I think it is different than being an actor when you've been, you've been, someone's written this character for you and you're turning, you're transforming into someone else. I think when you're singing, you're being the truest you 
you can possibly be because you have to dig so deep within you. And I'm sure, you know, if an actor were here right now, they'd say, wait a minute, if I have to play a part, I can you know, all these different things. But I do, I do, and not that I want to play favorites. So any actors who want to come on our show, feel free to. But I do think that there is a difference between singing and and acting because you really do have to go so deep within yourself to bring that out. So I could see how there would be a difference there. Um, but for you, and and I, I when I was doing some research on you before the podcast, I was looking at the reviews on your book, and I thought it was really interesting how people connected to the singing, and that it's a very different way of thinking about it. And I, I do love how everybody who teaches public speaking or communication skills brings their own authentic piece to it, right? I'm going to teach it very differently than you, but we're probably going to be bringing a lot of the same ideas to the table. If you had to give our our audience right now some of your, you know, key go-to tips, like what are some of the things, you know, no matter what, these are things you should mm -hmm. think about. If you have to go and give a talk tomorrow, if you could just do three things, what would you, what would you suggest that they would do? Mm, good question. Um, first of all, I would say that it's, it's, it's never about you. It's always about the audience. And, um, you know, whether you're singing, acting, speaking, whatever, you've just got to have them paramount. So, um, so that's the first thing I would say, because so many people are so self-conscious and they see, they don't even make that connection that they're there to serve the audience. It's just, they're all going to be looking at me. Ah. <laughs> and they're just taking it purely from this very sort of self-conscious position. And I think if you can sort of step away from that and just think, okay, it's about them. Instantly, it's so freeing because then your job is to, to give them what they need rather than to put on a good show or to, you know, wear the right clothes and speak the right way or whatever it is. Um, so that's the first thing that I always say to people. <clears throat> I also say to them, you know, to be a, a little bit more selfish is what, what do they want to get out of that opportunity? Uh, I work with a lot of people who are business owners. And again, because they're so worried about giving this excellent performance, they sometimes don't think about what the business reason is for them to speak in the first place. So, um, you know, very much about well, what, it, what do you need from this? Why are you doing this? Think carefully before you even write a word of your presentation. Because I think we just get into autopilot, like crack open PowerPoint or keynote. Mm. Um, so that's the, the, the second thing that I would say. <clears throat> and then just, you know, to what we've spoken uh, about already, really about how, who are you? What's the best version of you? And how can you put, bring that to the table? So are you... Uh, quiet, thoughtful, and insightful? Are you jokey, high energy, and, you know, whatever it is. Think of three words that describe you at your best and think about how you can infuse your presentation with those words and those, that behavior so you're just being the very best you. And just focus on that and, 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 and do your best. <laughs> That's some great advice. So I hear you talking about these two very obviously the most important components of a presentation is you and your audience, but really understanding what it is that your audience is there to get. And we often tell people, remember that they want you to succeed. You know, they're excited mm -hmm. to see you. They they don't want to 
if you're going to go and give a talk or whatever it is you're going to do, they don't want you to fail, right? They don't want you to fall on your face. In fact, so, they're so happy you're on the stage right. and it's not them. They want you to do well. Right. And not ever make them get up there. But so understanding what your audience is looking for and really know thyself, right? Know, know what my objective is, know what I'm good at. And I, and I think that's a really interesting point and, and one that, again, really should be underscored is to understand what you do well. Oftentimes, and I'm sure you probably have had similar experiences, you see someone who's giving a talk and they're amazing. And you, you're just soaking in every bit of them. You love their body language, the tone of their voice, the pacing, the cadence of how they speak, the words they're using, every bit of it is mesmerizing to you. And you think, I want to do that. Mm. <laughs> how can I do that? And of course we can't, right? We can't do that because we have to be who we are. So I think it's a really, really important point to emphasize that know that you're not going to be able <clears throat> to hit it out of the park in the beginning. And I'm sure for you, probably took a long time before you got to that TED Talk and got to the place where mm -hmm. you could be really comfortable up there and you know swing for the fences, as they say. Like you really, you gave it everything, you brought everything you had to it. How long did it take you to prepare for that? Well, I think I was for two or three months, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Months, not days, right? Yeah. Not right. days. And, and that's the thing that I, I think people don't, don't emphasize enough. When you're working with your clients, how do you talk to them about practice? Like what are your recommendations for how they should practice? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's funny because so many people don't want to practice, do they? It's, they don't. They just hate. <laughs> I don't, I must admit, I don't. <laughs> but um. Yeah, so I just read a blog post about that a little while ago, just talking about why you should practice. Um, and it, it, it seems obvious, but at the same time, it's something that people need to hear. Uh, so I would typically say to people that they need, some people like to practice word for word, other people like to have their bullet points. And I think it's fine wherever you are with that. Um, and obviously, you guys know that when you practice word for word, you know, if you get blown off course slightly it's very hard to kind of come back and right going to do it word for word there's good things about a script and very bad things about a script or challenge god forbid, god forbid somebody asks you a question <laughs> like in yeah the uh where was i <laughs> exactly yeah. what was i saying again mm -hmm. yeah. yeah you know so, oh, go ahead now, all, all I was going to say is uh yeah for people when i first started out speaking i just learned everything word for word it, that's just what made me comfortable as an introvert. Um, and then as I became more confident, obviously that changed. But just people understanding they've got to give themselves enough time. Um, don't, don't leave things to the last minute because it obviously makes you feel very uncomfortable and you don't give an optimal performance. Um, and also, again, sort of going back to this best self, practice as your best self. Um, don't leave that stuff to chance. Because I think, again, and I'm, I can be like this, but you want that kind of frisson of, hmm, is this going to work out? Right. So yeah. you leave a little chunk. 
yeah. unprepared. Right. <laughs> right. A little bit of anxiety is a good thing. It's how yeah, you channel yeah. the anxiety. You know, I liked your suggestion a little bit ago about pick three words that you feel describes you and you were saying work those uh, work those or however they represent you into your presentation. And we, Tammy just touched on the other piece of the equation, which I thought was really important and, and you do as well, which is practice. There's a, the balance of always the struggle between feeling comfortable with the content and rehearsing the content, yet the struggle with rehearsing the delivery. And I just like to I just want your thoughts because I, I'm honestly stumped most of the time. The The age-old question in coaching and training folks is not convincing them that this is something that they need to be better at or can be better at. They usually self-identify, I could be better at it. I want to be better at it. The desire is there. The, the will is there. And as soon as you put a plan in front of them to focus both on the message and help them with the message and then talk about the delivery side, I find practicing the content is a little easier for folks and just getting the commitment to focus on the delivery side. To your point, whatever makes you authentically you in that moment, not even putting best practices into play, just practicing it. What do you think people are challenged with in practicing? Because they recognize it's important. There's no, there's no mistake. We're not misaligned. We're very much aligned. These are things we have to do. In your experience, why aren't folks doing it? What's the struggle? Mm -hmm. I think no one wants to feel that they're a little bit crummy at something. And, and obviously, we've got to push through the being crummy to be great. But I think that crumminess can put people off or make them feel like oh I don't want to go any further I'm being reminded of the fact I'm not very good at this um and I think it's 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 that quite often it, it doesn't feel good you feel a bit miserable that so the self-doubt the self-doubt is so intense and it seems like forever to get through to the other side of it even to a degree to where it's not so overwhelming yet the <laughs> only way to get to the other side is to practice uh, it's it's fascinating to me. I agree with you. I, I often will say I believe most people are harder on themselves than anybody else will be. They are going to be their own worst enemy. We are our own worst critic. Uh, that's coming from somebody who does that themselves, so I can appreciate that. At the same time, I know it's worth the energy and the effort to push through to get through to the other side because it's going <clears throat> to be so amazing when you do. And the feeling is there. What... I'm just, I want to figure out what's the carrot that will get people to practice more to get past that hump of, I'm just really not good at this and it makes me feel worse and worse because sometimes I think you have to feel worse before you'll feel better. Mm. What's the carrot that you think could, could move people on, on the journey? Well, that's a tough one, isn't it? I think it's maybe thinking about what the outcomes are if this goes really well what like future pacing really what 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 is going to be so good for you if you do a great job here that will just drag you through the hard times <laughs> um to the other side and uh yeah i think everybody's different if you can put your finger on what that thing is that button that will just yeah i want this 
then yeah, we'll 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 make a lot of money probably. <laughs> yeah, the reward system. We're all trying to figure out that reward system, and you know there is. I we've talked about this before. This idea of you know there's a pleasure center in our brain, right? And and the <clears throat> this fear is hard to cut through to get to the satisfying result. So what happens and and you know we've we've talked to neuroscientists on this topic of what happens when this fear kicks in for people and you've been someone who has felt that anxiety tim has felt that anxiety i have absolutely felt that anxiety and we've all coached people who've struggled with their fear and it's so hard for them to go from that place of fear to having that satisfying gratifying end result and if we could help them see that there is a pathway from feeling incredibly anxious to feeling incredibly empowered, feeling powerful and being able to dominate a room, if we can help them see that connection, I think that would make a difference for people. And I, uh, you know, part of why we started this podcast was to showcase those stories, to allow people to hear from others who may not have always felt as good as they do right now and or you know have fallen down and gotten back up again because the reality is is for every person that you do see on the stage that you <clears throat> admire and you want to be like them you know that they have overcome their adversity someone is going to see you in a club or in a bar and see you sing and think you were born with that music coming out of your voice and it just you just happened you know your your first cry was was a melody right <laughs> instead, of it, instead of it being portrait to people and i i think that i think it's so important for us to continually remind people that you don't know what my journey was you just see me mm -hmm. in front of a room and think this was easy or Tony Robbins was born that way. He was not born that way. He didn't get up, you know, at three years old and motivate people to speak. So <laughs> I, 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 do think, I do think that it's important to continue to tell those stories, which is why I love your story, because you're the real deal. You're someone who, you know, hid behind the curtains for a long time. And now, now you've come out of the curtain and you're like, okay, hear me roar. So my question for you is, are you still singing? And do you incorporate singing into or music into your workshops at all? Mm -hmm. I am still singing. And if you can find me somewhere um, singing some Motown or some jazz. <clears throat> and in terms of bringing the music into the workshops, uh, I do. I, I, I tend to teach some aspects of voice. Um, so obviously we all look at breathing, but then looking at various exercises I would use for singing to help warm up the voice, M's and those sorts of things, just sounds that get the um, vocal cords together. And um, then sometimes we do do a bit of singing actually in the workshop. It just really depends on who the client is. Right. <laughs> so, and who the participants are. It really depends right? on them. How brave they feel yeah. that day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know the uh, the the musical, The Greatest Showman, which presumably you yes. guys have both seen. Love that. <clears throat> yeah, it's brilliant. And that song, This Is Me. I mean, I I think that really it 
it was an anthem for so many reasons, right? Yes. But it kind of sums up a lot of what we're trying to get into people as as speaking coaches, right? Which is do it your way, have that confidence, etc. So sometimes I end a workshop with 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 that particular song and everybody singing along oh, that's which can work i just got little chills i oh. i think that's fantastic you know we we work with another coach we have a we have a bunch of coaches that work with us and one of them mm-hmm. is a singer and he does a lot of voice lessons and it is amazing to see what someone who really understands the instrument that your voice is one of the things that we always are challenged by is helping people understand how to be louder or how to project their voice. And mm. it is a really hard thing for people to, to figure out how to do because just saying you're not loud enough doesn't really do it, but showing them how to pull their voice. I, of course, do not have this issue because I have been living in New York my whole entire life. So <laughs> I was born loud. I was definitely born loud. But but it is, I think it's fascinating to, to watch people who use their voice as an instrument to teach other people how to use their voice. It's something I wish I could do. I, I certainly don't have the, the gift to be able to do that, but I think it's, it's, it definitely makes a huge difference because obviously our voice is what we use the most, mm. right? That is the, that is the tool that we have that is always in play versus, you know, our body language, people are only listening to us right now. And I'm sure out of the three of us, they're all enjoying your voice most of all because it's a well-trained voice. But I, 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 do, I do think that's a really amazing thing to be able to, to do. Mm. I have a, a workshop that I run sometimes called the Speaker's Toolkit. And it's, it's really about, you know, how do you express more gravitas? What do you do with your voice? How do you speak louder for with the same effort, all those sorts of things. And I think, as you say, for most people, that's really illuminating because they've never even contemplated those aspects before. Right. Just- right. You mentioned you mentioned breathing earlier. I, I sort of chuckled inside because most people forget to breathe when they get up and start to present. No and it's, it's truly a fascinating experience because the lack of oxygen is usually what starts the downfall of all the other symptoms that they... Mm-hmm feel the scratchy voice the wobbly knees the you know the just all those elements come into play simply because you're not breathing mm-hmm. yeah. so who are some of your mentors who do who are some people that you really admire or that you feel like you learn from at this point in your career wow that's what a question um gosh you know what I've, i'm not really a sort of listy sort of person so i there are certain coaches out there that I follow, most definitely. And then um, some are from the business side. Some are really around the actual act of speaking. Um, certain speakers, maybe more from the political side of things that I share with my, uh, when I'm training, just so that, again, people can see that there are multiple ways of, of doing this. And we people can have different politics. styles. We can't. <laughs> so I'm not going to. So. <laughs> Neither are we. You, you may be able to do it in the UK. We cannot talk politics. We don't even want <laughs> to talk politics. We have plenty of fodder and we cannot talk politics. <laughs> it's well, okay. I'm not going there. Oh, no, no, no. You can talk about it from the UK <laughs> perspective. <laughs> <laughs> How about you guys? A question for you. I mean, who would you see as mentors or people that you look up to as, whether it's speakers or coaches or whatever? 
Do you want me to go, Tim? Do you want to yeah, go? Yeah, you go ahead. I'll jump I'm, in right behind you. I know you. he would let me go. We, there's a, there's quite a few people. I I don't look at political figures because by and large, I think they're all pretty awful speakers. Mm. Uh, I, I, I think they're very canned and, and not very charismatic. For me, I think I fall probably in the same category as a lot of people. Like I'm fascinated by Steve Jobs and how he spoke. Um, I, you know, my, my, bigger, my bigger focus is the mechanics of it. I'm really, really intrigued by the mechanics. So I read a lot about people talking about how to speak more than mm-hmm. I look at speakers. I find that as a speaking coach, it's kind of ruined it for me because I can't <laughs> watch them speak without, without just dismantling everything that they're saying. But I will tell you one of the best speeches I have seen <clears throat> is by Shonda Rhimes, who oh. is the writer of Grey's Anatomy and uh, Scandal and all those shows. She gave a, uh, she gave a keynote address at a commencement ceremony. And I think it was at Dartmouth University. I think that's where she went to school. And it was right around the time that she had her book, The Power of Yes, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. And she gave <clears throat> the most incredible, passionate, heartfelt speech, probably one of the best speeches I've heard in years and years and years. And this was quite a while ago. And it really stayed with me because it was truly authentic. It wasn't perfect. It didn't necessarily hit all of my buttons that I would look for in a speaker, but it was oozing authenticity and compassion. And it was incredibly, incredibly moving. And it was probably one of the best speeches I've seen in a really long time. Mine's not nearly as deep as that. (laughs) However, (laughs) I tend to enjoy... Uh, I tend to enjoy watching Stephen Colbert lately. And I like watching him specifically because I think he does an amazing job at dialogue, matching with his body language, telling the story. He, based on, for what we talked, authenticity, right? He brings everything about himself to every show that he does. And I'm always fascinated when I watch him down to the smallest gesture or movement, eye, eye glance, side eye, whatever it may be. <laughs> I, I just, I, I enjoy him so much. And so I, I look at him more so because I enjoy his commentary as much as I do the delivery. Uh, but I think he's masterful at storytelling in, in such a unique way as a late night talk show host. I think, I think, you know, it's interesting that you bring up, and we were actually watching Colbert together recently, and you mentioned that. Uh, I think what, what is most fascinating to me and what I latch on to more than anything is the topic that has come up most in my coaching of, over the last couple of months, which is the ability to think on your feet. This idea that you can come, you know, Stephen Colbert is quite good at that, that he can, he's not scripted. It's not just... He's not just reading cue cards. You can see that his mind is working and he's able to articulate so quickly these ideas. And that's what I'm always in awe of with people. Mm -hmm. It's someone who can get up and can take questions from the audience, 
and can really just connect and you can see their mind at work. So that's what fascinates mm. me. I, I, I am admittedly the biggest geek when it comes to communication because I started my career as a writer and that was my form of communication and I hated speaking. And the ability to be able to put those two things together, which I still haven't mastered, but the ability to put those two things together is always amazing to me. So when you see someone who's a great writer and a great speaker, it's like magic. It's just, wow. it's like watching the most beautiful opera or listening to the most beautiful music or, you know, it's just an incredible thing. So, but I'm a total geek. So I, I pick everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shola, I know we have to wrap up. We're coming to the end of our time. There's one final question we'd like to ask everyone. We, already kind of jumped into it, you know, from a mentor perspective or anybody you look up to, but we're always fascinated to know what's on your mind lately. What are you uh, listening to from a podcast perspective? Are there books you're reading? Where are you taking your information from and what are you taking in lately? Uh, your nighttime reading before you end the day. Mm. Uh, one book I particularly love is a book um, by Vanessa Van Edwards, which is, um, I think it's called Charisma. I forget what it's, it's her, the science of people, right? something about charisma or something in the title. And um, it's, it's a fantastic book in terms of human interaction and interpretation of human behavior. And if you want to change somebody's view of you, what, what can you do? How can you hold do a handshake, um, you know, body gestures, all that sort of thing. Not from a public speaking perspective, but more from a sort of conversation with one person perspective. And um, <clears throat> a lot of the people that I work with, um, they obviously want that public, public speaking ability, but also it's about just basic communication skills. So that's been really fascinating. That's a great um, recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. It's an awesome book. Really, really good. And, um, I'm reading another book, which is on psychology and it's, um, I guess that most people have read the Ch uh, Cialdini book, the, is it called persuasion or influence? I always forget which one it's called, but there's a book that was written in the seventies by a guy called Robert Cialdini. And I think it's called influence. And it's about the different ways that we can persuade people or influence people. Um, and so I'm, I like reading about things like psychology as well, because all of it comes into play, doesn't it, in terms of it does. interaction. Absolutely. It um, does. Every one of those. And that's a good point, I think, to leave on is that, you know, it's not just about standing up in front of a group presenting. The These interactions happen all day long. Our, again, we've said it before, but I'll say it again. Anytime you speak in public, you're public speaking. And it's, it's those in-between moments that all of these things come into play. And oftentimes, I think most folks don't realize it's not just when you're formally in front of people that these things can impact your life. So those three words that you recommend we all think about and try to emulate, that can happen every single day. Being authentic in the moment happens every single day. This has been really amazing to have this opportunity to speak with you. And I've really enjoyed our conversation and getting to know you more, learning about your background, and having a really good spirited discussion on, on the struggles actors have and, <laughs> and accepting an award and acting on the stage. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you. much for sharing your story with us. It was really great. And I'm sure our listeners will love 
hearing all about you. I think you're definitely one of those people that we love to hear that has overcome a challenge and turned it into something amazing. And hopefully we can all be divas all day, every day. I'm, I'm totally motivated to do it. I'm committed to being a diva too, Same. in more ways than one. Awesome. Well, it's been really, really amazing being on here, getting to know the two of you a bit better and being on the show. It's been great. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you, Thank Shola. You, Shola. Until next time, I'm sure we'll stay in touch. Have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thanks very much. Take care, Tim and Tammy. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of Figures of Speech. Thank you so much for tuning in. Do not forget, follow us on social media. Subscribe so that you don't have to go searching for us. All of our episodes will be right there on your podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Please check out our website, read our blogs. Let us know what you think. Give us feedback. Check out our app on the App Store or on Google Play. Let us know what you think of it. We love feedback. We want to hear your questions. And perhaps whatever you share with us, we might share it on the podcast too. Thanks. See you soon.